Hello and welcome to the HPP Podcast. This is the HPP Podcast Editor, Arden Castle, and each week we explore a new topic related to the Health Promotion Practice Journal, whether it's demystifying publishing, breaking down a new article, or discussing public health-related topics with other editorial board members. We hope you enjoy each week's exploration into health promotion practice. Hello and welcome to the HPP podcast and I am your host today, Dr. Melissa Valerio Shoemaker. Today I am joined by Dr. Lizette Rangel and Dr. Maria Eugenia Fernandez Escort. They are going to help us explore coping strategies used by day laborers to address injuries and employment sites. And their title of their paper is I Use Sunglasses, The Sun Can Ruin the Eyes, Latino Day Laborer, Lace Strategies to Reduce Dangers at Work. And before we get started, I'm going to ask them to introduce themselves and to have them share where they are calling in from. Hi, um, so my name is Lisa Rangel. I'm calling from Houston, Texas. I was a student at the School of Public Health where Dr. Fernandez's care was my academic advisor and my dissertation chair. So I thank you for the opportunity to work on this paper. And also currently I'm the program manager for the community outreach and engagement program at the Dan Duncan Comprehensive Cancer Center at Baylor College of Medicine. And so I hold a doctor in public health from the University of Texas School of Public Health. And also I have experience working in conducting community-based participatory research related to eliminating health disparities and mostly in cancer prevention, survivorship, and also working with the immigrant population. Thank you and welcome again, Dr. Fernandez Escort. Thank you, Dr. Valerio. Yes, so I'm an assistant professor at the School of Public Health here in Houston, where I'm calling from, and I am affiliated with the Department of Health Promotion. My research is primarily focused on Latino immigrants, vulnerable Latino immigrants, of which day laborers is one example. I am also in the teaching faculty. I teach in the area of health promotion and behavioral sciences. And I have been working with Latino communities for a very long time. And the purpose of my research is to help them overcome some of their health problems. In the case of day laborers, my research has been primarily focused on reducing the dangers that they confront at work. Thank you. So I'd like to start with you, Dr. Fernandez, and just an overview and background of who are Latino day laborers and why are they considered a vulnerable population? Yes, Latino day laborers are primarily immigrant men from Latin America. There's day laborers from other countries, but this is a population that is primarily composed of men that come from Honduras, Guatemala, El Salvador, and Mexico. And they come here unaccompanied. They leave their families behind. They come 
in search of opportunities, in search for work. And they work at locations that we designate them as corners, but they're really home improvement stores, bus stops, small shopping areas where they congregate. And employers know to come to these locations to look for them and hire them on a temporary basis, sometimes for a day, sometimes for a few weeks. And the reason that they seem to be particularly at risk for injury is that they tend to rotate across a variety of jobs, most of them in the construction sector. They do plumbing, they do sheetrocking, but then on another day, they get hired to do yard work or even they get hired for moving companies. As a result of these rotations, sometimes they get invited to do work for which they're not completely familiar. And the other reason why they are so vulnerable to injuries is that the employers that hire them do not provide them with training, with the right tools or personal protective equipment. Dr. Rahel, did you want to add about Latino day laborers and why they're considered a vulnerable population? So um, they're a vulnerable population, like Dr. Fernandez-Escare mentioned, is because they work in the construction sector. So they're exposed to workplace hazards and risks. So for example, not only do they work like in heights, they're using dangerous tools, they're also not given the proper PPP. So, and also they're not giving the appropriate training to do these kind of jobs. And of course, you know, sometimes there's some abuse working in extreme weathers. We also know that this population has not only occupational inequalities, but also they have other factors that can increase the risk at the workplace. So for example, anxiety, discrimination at work, employer abuse, they suffer from loneliness, wage theft. So all that increases their risk of workplace injuries. And in this paper, we kind of talk about that. And is this a new area for research? Is there a lot known in this area and published? Or how would you describe what is known in research? You know, it's very interesting to understand that even when this is a population of workers that seems to be fairly common around the country, not much is really known about the way that they cope with danger and deal with injuries. There there certainly are many programs that have tried to address their safety training needs, but what we have seen in terms of what is available to train them so that they can avoid these dangers is many of these programs tend to be delivered at locations that are away from the places where they look for work, at training centers, at universities and other locations. And as a result of that, the workers do not tend to relocate to other places for the fear that they may lose their jobs. And as a result of that, unfortunately, they miss the opportunity to get trained. 
Thank you. And the paper is a great example of a team working together to write and submit for peer review. Can you talk a little bit about the process and how you came together and the partners and others and how were they both in the experience with the research as well as in developing your papers? Yeah. So I will get started and Dr. Rangel can certainly give her own perspective. We work as a team and we work in pairs, rotating pairs, if you will, from the time that we began to think about how to collect the information that led to the description of the coping strategies, we conducted several focus groups at the locations where they look for work at these corners that I was describing before. And so we approached them and through a, a lottery system, we gave everybody that we found at this location as an opportunity to participate. And then the participants were really selected by lottery and we ended up completing conversations in four different groups with a total of 36 day laborers. And so the data was collected by one team, analyzed by another team within the four of us. Then we partner in different ways to prepare the tables themselves and to complete the analysis of the table. So at any one point, there were at least two of us looking at the data, talking to the day laborers, and thinking in terms of what were the critical issues and critical information that we wanted to discuss and share as part of this publication. And I want to take a moment to thank the day laborers that joined us in the process of analyzing the data who were part of the Living Hope Wheelchair Association. These were day laborers that unfortunately suffered a serious injury at work and were then not able to walk anymore. And in the process of analyzing the data, we sat down with them, shared the transcripts of the focus groups and asked them to provide feedback and to provide their own understanding of what the focus group participants were trying to tell us. So the richness of the data was enhanced by the comments provided by these day laborers that suffer serious injuries at work. And so throughout this process, we all partner with each other to complete the different phases of manuscript development, but Dr. Rangel may have other perspectives since she was also the one that took the lead. So I came a little bit after, and this is a project that I was given when I was still doing my last year dissertation. So this was a different project because I was used to more working on projects on cancer prevention and survivorship. So this was fairly new. And so Dr. Fernandez Scare gave me the opportunity to work for her project my last year. And I was able to read all these manuscripts. And at that same time, we were starting to do an intervention with the day labor. So I would go out and then I would see kind of what I'm reading. It's really reflective of what I'm actually experiencing when I go to the corners. So definitely this was totally new for me, but learning from also doing the project in the community, it also helped me. 
so Dr. Rahan, taking all of those elements together and the data collection process, reaching out to the community and getting folks to talk to you and work with you, what was the overall purpose of the paper and the framing that was really important to you to get across? Mm -hmm. So this paper is a good representation of what strategies they use, what day laborers go through using their own words. So one of the things is that many of the publications that have been done, like safety practitioners are the ones that kind of develop the intervention, which is really a valid perspective, right? But we feel that this paper can help provide more literature on how we can complement and add the perspective of Latino day laborers and how what they go through and the ways they cope with work or injuries. So this paper wanted to provide a description of coping strategies that they use. And, you know, we want to just provide their perspective in hopes that people that are doing similar programs also kind of include their perspective. And when we spoke earlier, you also mentioned that the perspectives and oftentimes programs are developed from safety practitioners and their experiences. Can you talk a little bit about how the day laborers really helped in gaining a better understanding of their own experience and how they address their problems? I think there's different strategies that they mentioned. There were some strategies related more to the knowledge or the background they already have. So definitely the paper covers strategies like they're being willing to learn something new, right? That helps them get more jobs. Also, their ability to recognize and evaluate whether a risk is around them. So they're able to ask the appropriate questions to the employer and say, you know, seeing any red flags and not taking the job or taking the job. So that knowledge is really important in the strategies. The other one is the networking and, you know, their surroundings. So being able to teach and also learn from the other day labors and being able to network, you know, networking with other also gives them more opportunities and then communicating with their peers about any abuse. So that kind of also reduces the risk, right? If they hear that there's an abuse employer, then they most likely are not gonna be working with them. And then the last one we also talk about in this paper is those personal values or growth strategies. So for example, they mentioned self-esteem, right? They know they're a population that a lot of people abuse, but yet they're like, no, I'm human. You should treat me well, and then I'll do a good job. And then also they mentioned the whole thing of faith, you know, spirituality, how it is important and gives some hope to continue regardless of anything that happens to them. And then also being resilient. And another one is the flexibility of them doing different variety of jobs so they can be like competitive and getting employed in different places or even outside of Pewson. And then their integrity, they also talk about the importance of their work, right? So they want to do the best work. And if they're not able to do that best work, they inform the employer, I'm not able to. So those are some of the strategies that we cover in the paper that we saw that they helped them in the ability to cope 
stressors and also to reduce the workplace injuries. If I can add to, add to those comments, I think that's a really good summary, but I think that we felt that a good reason for presenting the coping strategies was to allow practitioners to really see and to hear in the words of the day laborers, the things that they go through as they try to address a problem at work, as they try to cope with dangers, as they try to figure out how to protect themselves. In a way, it's like they're walking us through their own experience, which we felt it would provide a good complementary perspective to the perspective provided by people who are more experienced in safety training and in safety objectives. I think we felt that by looking and by reading and by understanding in the words of the laborers what go through, it would actually enhance the capacity of programs to reach them. Thank you. In many ways, the work has been building over time. And I know with your partners going in, can you talk a little bit about the formative work that also informed the development of the intervention and how this was building and helped you build that intervention? And then also the risk reduction strategies from how the community helped you in building even your discussion guide, your questions, and the topics that you were asking about. Yes, the original conversations that we had in the focus groups with day laborers were part of a formative work to develop an injury risk reduction program for this particular population. And we knew the primary objectives we knew from the existing literature what were the risks, the main risks being confronted by the day laborers, but we wanted to hear from their point of view how they saw their work, how they saw the problems at work, and in particular, one of the things that we did not have a very good understanding was the experience of injury itself. We did not have a good grasp of what it was to go through the experience of being injured at work. And as a result of being injured, it spontaneously came up. What is it that they did once they were injured? And so we developed a set of questions for the focus groups with the input, not only of the researchers, but also from our community partners and members of the community advisory board, many of whom were already working with a day labor population and had really extensive experience in working with them. That group included community lay workers. It also included activists and it included community leaders. We were very fortunate and have a community advisory board that provided very different perspectives. And so including those partners, we were able to develop the actual protocol in partnership, in constant partnership with 
community workers and community leaders, one of whom was a former day laborer. And so once we had the objectives, which of course were consistent with the overall purpose of developing a program, but we also really wanted to use the language and to use the questions that would resonate better with the population. And so we developed the questions in partnership with these community members and obviously the entire protocol for the focus groups was reviewed by the community advisory board. And for someone who is looking at working with either Latino day laborers or vulnerable populations, what would you say if they're listening and they're hearing the description of the partners and the building of trust and over time, and they say, that's a lot of work. What benefits would you emphasize to someone who is thinking about using a similar strategy? There's nothing more valuable than developing a program with the understanding that the vision and the knowledge and the strengths of the population that you're trying to serve have been considered as part of the development of the program. I think that's the value of including community partners and members of the population that you're working with from the very beginning. It's not only does it increase the validity of the program, I believe it also increases the quality and more importantly, it has a better chance of succeeding in targeting the problems that you're trying to address because you already have the lay experts giving you guidance and giving you feedback in terms of the things that you need to do as part of your program. I think that's a very valuable perspective that is actually worth the effort. I wanted to add another thing that was included were three participatory activities that helped with the discussion. So um, this included an icebreaker. That way they feel comfortable. And sometimes working with day laborers, they don't feel comfortable sharing about their immigration status or what's going on at their work. So an icebreaker was included for them to feel comfortable. Also, a risk mapping activity where they were able to draw, okay, these are some of the injuries that dangers at work, at home, and, you know, at the different locations where they were employed or at the corner as well. And then the last one was more like a body mapping where they were giving us a picture of a silhouette and they were able to pinpoint where exactly they were having these injuries. And then that helped them kind of in the discussion and, and sharing with the other day laborers, okay, this happened to me and I fell and that, you know, it happened to me in the back and all that. So all these activities were included to help get more information about either, you know, the risk that they perceive and also the coping strategies that they use because of that. Yes. And, and we felt that this multimodality type of engagement during the focus group would allow them to give us a richer 
description of the experiences that they go through. And indeed, we found that we were getting details that we would probably not have gotten in a traditional conversation as they were describing the location where they work, the location where they live, their experiences of injury. Some of those descriptions were really poignant. I believe a lot of those rich details would not have come up if it wasn't for the opportunity to really personalize and contextualize their experiences of injury. I know, I believe it was you, Dr. Trang, had mentioned to me that someone, you learned of someone with an injury and the example of the coping strategy was they went ahead and took care of themselves. Can you go through one of those examples of an injury, delayed care, and then moving into strategies to address that need? Well, a lot of the day laborers, they are injured at work. And so because they don't have healthcare access, they have to resort on either over-the-counter medication, or in many cases, if they cut themselves, having to do their own kind of surgery. So that's something that we mentioned that they have to kind of improvise or they have to make sure they're well enough because they have to go and work the next day. So they don't have that luxury to go to a healthcare and, you know, get sewn up. They have to make sure they do it on their own. Dr. Fernandez is here, can elaborate a little bit more. Is this whole idea of self-reliance when you have no resources, you have nowhere to go and where Unfortunately, oftentimes, if they get injured, the people who hire the day laborers drop them at emergency rooms in the entrance area, and oftentimes, they're not even seen because many of the day laborers do not demonstrate that they have any insurance or any means to pay for their health, for their health care. And so they resort of taking care of their injuries and their problems by themselves. Sometimes the problems resolve over time. Sometimes there are problems. Over a year later, they're still having problems moving their arms, moving their legs because of an injury that was not treated properly. And in extreme cases, they resort to dealing with cuts that are more than a band-aid can cure. I had the opportunity to interview a day laborer who mentioned to me that he was carrying a very heavy toilet put in inside a garbage bag that he was carrying as he was driving his bicycle. And unfortunately, he fell. He ended up with a really big gash. He had no money. He had no place to go. And he ended up sewing the gash himself. Thank you. And I guess one of the things that I really loved about the paper is that element of stories, but you even used it in your title, Dr. Rangel. And can you talk a little bit about how you came up with a title? I think it was important to use a quote to understand it better. And that way it could grab the attention of the reader that this is about something that they use, a strategy. So I think together we kind of came up with that title just to make sure that it's included in the title. And that's something really important because we want to make sure that it's from the perspective of the day labor. 
Thank you. And I wanted to ask, because it is such a unique population and vulnerable, how did COVID-19, how did the pandemic exacerbate the work-related stressors that LDLs experience every day or may have challenged them differently? So I could give a try. So when I was working on this paper, COVID happened, and this was 2020. So during that time in the summer, we were able to have many conversations with day laborers. So during that time, we heard more from them, and they kind of said how work is being impacted because of COVID and how they're coping with it. So these conversations, of course, are coping strategies more in the context of injury and, and that. But then and during the conversation, they started mentioning how they're coping with the impact of COVID on not having a job. So some of the ones that we haven't, so this is unpublished data, but one of them was that one of the, the day laborers mentioned being optimistic and working with whatever comes, right? Because with COVID, a lot of their jobs kind of were on hold. So they were giving jobs that they didn't intended to do, but they had to kind of go along with that. So they have to be really optimistic that something was going to come along. And so I think that kind of contribute to their resilience and their flexibility, because at that time they had to be really flexible. I know one of them mentioned that one of their coworkers was selling tamales because he was not working, but he had to get creative in how to make money during this time. The other thing was that they mentioned a lot of fate. So coping with fate and that COVID was a stressful time, right? For everybody and how their fate helped them. So they didn't suffer from depression or loneliness. They were able to cope during this time when the work was not available. And, you know, they were also getting sick too, right? They were getting COVID. So I think it kind of reflected some of those coping strategies that we had found in the paper. And so it was really nice to hear them that they're still using them, but in the context of the COVID pandemic. I know that I believe... Dr. Rangel, it was you who mentioned also the isolation and how COVID-19 and that isolation, that, that strategy for isolation had already almost helped the Latino day laborers during COVID-19. And there are some um, Latino day laborers that live like in apartments and there's a lot of people. And then, of course, some of them might live like with their family members. But I think having the fate and then also, you know, having their family members, there's also that at, during that time, everything started going to Zoom. So, you know, either using WhatsApp or another like social media to connect. I think that also kind of helped them during this time when you kind of had to isolate yourself, right? And so it was really important to still have that social support. I know one of the groups that we were talking, Living Hope, they actually would have their meetings over Zoom. And then that way they could still provide some kind of support during the pandemic. And I know that you mentioned there's a lot of partners and I don't know if there were any unique perspectives or understanding that those partners then use this information and in going back and improving services or programming or identifying gaps differently. 
Can you talk a little bit about that? I think that is really interesting to see how strategic the Living Hope partners were. I think that in the internal team that was dealing with the data, we had enough different perspectives. As I mentioned before, we had former, we had community activists, we had researchers with different backgrounds in the social sciences and in public health. And from the community perspective, I really want to give credit to Living Hope for the enormous amount of rich information that they provided to understand the paper. So all in all, we feel that we had a really good multidisciplinary perspective. We had a perspective of the community from within the members of the research team and the members from the community, particularly from the day laborer perspective. Thank you. Anything else you'd like to share with the audience related to your experiences? I think with working with this population and for people that are thinking of doing program with day laborers or other worker population, it's really important to include them as you're developing the intervention and also implementing the intervention. That input is really important and it's going to help with the success of the program. And the other thing is, you know, even though this is like an injury prevention program, it's really important to understand the other stuff that can influence that, right? So like discrimination, their lack of healthcare, all those other things has importance. And your intervention should not only address injury, but it should address the other factors that are really important because it's really, really hard to have it successful without including everything. That's what I have learned writing this paper and also working with Dr. Fernandez Scare. Thank you. I would like to add one more comment to your question as to how do we use this information to inform programs for day laborers? I believe that those initial focus groups that we conducted help us tremendously in terms of helping us develop questionnaires to probe about injuries. Our understanding of injuries, particularly severe injuries, became much more consistent. We believe we came up with a more consistent methodology that was applicable to the laborers. We ended up using the body silhouette as part of our survey documents because we found during the focus groups how much the image itself elicits specific event-related information about their injuries, and we believe we were able to document them better. In addition, the, the material that we got in the focus groups, in particular, the whole qualitative understanding, if you will, of the injury experience helped us to develop a program where we wanted to validate the experience of the worker, the multiple challenges that they confront. And that's why we call the program Ballet Mass 2, because it's the worth of the worker that is more central than anyone's strategy to be able to understand the experience of what they go through and to be able to understand how is it that they try to overcome their difficulties. 
So we developed a program that was tested initially in 2015, and we have just completed cluster randomized trial using the previous program and using the lessons that we learned in this particular set of focus groups. Thank you all so much. And I also want to thank your co-authors mm -hmm. and acknowledge them. And on behalf of HPP, we're very grateful to you all for sharing your stories, as well as the stories of Latino day laborers and providing a voice to a very vulnerable population. So thank you all for being here with us today. Thank you for hosting us. Yes, thank you so much. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of the HPP podcast. If you enjoyed this content, let us know by tagging us or responding to our promotions on Twitter and LinkedIn. You can also find out more about the Health Promotion Practice Journal from Sage or Sophie's websites. All of these links can be found on the podcast website at anchor.fm forward slash health dash promotion dash practice. Take care and have a great day.